Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Once again, during this marvelous season of our Lord's resurrection, the Paschal season, so full of joy. This is still, of course, the month of May. Boy, it's really moving along, too. But in the Western Church, oftentimes May is referred to as the month of Mary. In the Eastern Lung of the Church, this month is not really considered to be the month of Mary per se. However, at the same time, it is sort of like, well, I'm going to call it Ladies' Month or Ladies' Day. So, ladies, you get in free today here at Light of the East and all during this month of May. We're going to feature how in the Eastern churches, especially through our liturgical tradition, how the church represents, especially in the East, women through our prayer, our liturgical tradition, especially during this particular month, because this particular month, of course, is the time following Easter, the Paschal season, and in that time, we feature basically three sets of women, as it were, three women in a, in a sense. First, the women at the tomb, the myrrh-bearing women, as we call them. In fact, one of our Sundays, of course, is called the Sunday of the Myrrh-bearing Women. Then, of course, there's the Mother of God. And thirdly, which is this Sunday, our gospel reading today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Today is called the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, where Jesus Christ encounters this woman. And we see in these stories and the way that we portray them liturgically and participate in them liturgically, it gives us a certain insight into how the church, especially in the East, in a sense, sees womanhood. 
Now, before I go any further, I just want to let you know that throughout this program, you're going to be hearing some of the sounds that I proudly carried back with me from my trip to Rome for the beatification of John Paul II. What you'll be hearing today, primarily, is the sound of the seminary choir from Preshov, Slovakia. My ancestry comes from the church in Eastern Europe, the Byzantine Ruthenian Church, which is actually made up of areas such as Western Ukraine, Eastern Slovakia, parts of Hungary. And this area of Europe, of Central Europe, is where my ancestry came from, and in particular the ancestry of my church. I am part of what's called the Byzantine Catholic Church or the Ruthenian jurisdiction. And Ruthenian, of course, refers to really it's an Anglicized word for Rusin, which is the Reference to the area of Central Europe where Slovakia, Hungary, Ukraine all kind of come together along the mountain range there called the Carpathian Mountains. And in this area, we have a seminary in the city of Preshov. And that diocese, in the Park, as we call it, has been around a long time. And when I had a chance to be in Rome at the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore, named after, of course, meaning our Mother of God, we celebrated the Divine Liturgy, the Byzantine Divine Liturgy, with our fellow Slovak Byzantine Catholics who came in from Slovakia for the beatification of John Paul II, along with their bishop, Bishop Babiak. And we celebrate Divine Liturgy in Old Slavonic, which is the mother tongue of my particular church. It's actually sort of the mother tongue of most of the Slavic languages. It's like an ancient Slavic language, something like Old English would be today for us who speak English. Church Slavonic or Old Slavonic is language which we celebrate the liturgy together in a chapel dedicated to the Mother of God in the great Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore. And what you'll be hearing in this program are some of the sounds that I was able to pick up of the seminary choir singing the responses to the Byzantine Divine Liturgy. It's a real thrill for me. I know I've been talking quite a bit about my experience in Rome because not only is it very, very personal, so it's hard for me to kind of contain, but I also think and hope that in Sharing my personal experience, there's a certain universal dimension to it. In other words, it's my way of helping you to have been there, to have been caught up in the whole thing, to have been there with me, as I wish you could have. And also because so much of my experience personally is also the experience of many people around the world in the past number of years with John Paul II, both while he walked on this earth and now even while he is, of course, now blessed in heaven. And so I will share with you, out of some of my uncontained excitement, my experience there in Rome. And part of that is, of course, the sounds of the Byzantine liturgy sung by the seminary choir from Preshov, Slovakia. As I mentioned, this is Ladies' Month, in a sense, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And we had, in previous Sundays, we had what was called the Sunday of the Myrrh-Bearing Women, in which we feature the women that came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Now, in featuring women liturgically, there's a lot that we can learn from this. And also draw upon, of course, the wisdom of blessed John Paul II. John Paul II said that the human race, human beings, were entrusted to womanhood in a very special way. Of course, we come through, naturally, our mothers, a woman, with the help of men, of course, but we come through them, and they are our primary caregivers. Now, we're bonded to them when we're born, we nurse at their breasts and so on. So we're very, very bonded. They're our primary sort of unifying being as we come into this world. 
And always the human race seems to be entrusted in a special way to womanhood. And so womanhood is featured several times during the Paschal season in the Byzantine church. One of those, as I mentioned, is the Sunday of the myrrh-bearing women. And in liturgical text, we sing this. It said, the women prepared myrrh to anoint you, O Lord, and secretly came to your tomb early in the morning. They feared the boldness of the Jews, and they expected the soldiers to be keeping guard. Now, here's the interesting line. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. And so they cry out, Arise, O Lord, protect us and save us for the love of your name. Now, notice this line here. It says, But their weakness triumphed over manly strength, for tenderness finds favor with God. Interesting line there. And again, one that gives us insight into sort of the liturgical approach towards womanhood. As I mentioned, quoting from John Paul II, womanhood has been called to sort of care for the human race in a very special way. Now, do we come through womanhood, but also because womanhood represents the whole order of life and love. And tenderness, as it says here in the liturgical text here, tenderness, in a sense, trumps all the other aces. Tenderness is a strength in itself. That's why you notice the little play on words here. But their weakness triumphed over manly strength for tenderness finds favor with God. So there is a real power, real strength in womanhood by the very fact that womanhood is all about the order of love and life and of caring, of tenderness, of closeness, of proximity. In fact, if you notice in the gospel, and actually in all four gospels, at the account of the resurrection when the women came to the tomb, and again, this is repeated continuously in the liturgical texts of the Eastern Church at this time, it was the women who were first given the message of the resurrection. And they were told to bring that message to the immediate community. Now, that's very significant because, again, it gives us insight into the order of womanhood and its sort of divine calling, as it were, its destiny, its theology, as it were. The women were first entrusted with this message, just as they're entrusted with the human race. They're entrusted with this message because womanhood has this great gift, this sort of openness to receive. And I'm reminded of the message of John Paul II, which Pope Benedict XVI mentioned at the beatification. He reminded us, and it was reminded all over the place in Rome with these magnificent banners and pictures of the Pope. But over and over again, in all the literature and everywhere you went, you saw this phrase, which was like the model of his pontificate. Be not afraid. Open wide the doors to Christ. That was open wide the doors of our hearts to Christ. Well, one womanhood has by nature a kind of a natural propensity for openness. You can see it in the what John Paul II would call the theology of their very bodies, the openness of woman's body, the interior space that is made to hold life, you know, her womb. And so womanhood was given this gift. And that, conversely, is why the devil went to womanhood first to give the message of death. The serpent did not go to Adam first, if you noticed. He went to the woman because he knew. He knew that womanhood was created with this special gift of receptivity. Womanhood was the way into the human race. And so the devil, in the form of the serpent, went to womanhood, not to manhood, at that fateful moment in the Garden of Eden. So woman received the bad message. But now, with Christ, womanhood receives the good message. 
So you see there's kind of like a Christ is taking the same scenario that happened in the beginning and kind of reversing it in a sense. Instead of womanhood receiving the bad message of death, now it is womanhood that receives the good message of life from the angels at the tomb. And the angel then told them, of course, it's the message of Christ through the angel, go and take this message to the immediate community. You notice the women were not, were not told to take it to the world. Yes, of course, womanhood has a hand. All people, all Christians especially, have an obligation, a hand, a calling to bring the truth to the world, to go forth and teach all nations. But in particular, womanhood seems to have been called to bring that message close to home, as it were, back to the apostles, to the men cowering and gathering in the room together, back to the family, as it were, to take it there first. This seems to have been the divine call of womanhood. We're going to talk more about womanhood in this month of the ladies, as it were, you might, you might call it, in the Eastern churches. So please stay with us here. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Ladies, would you like to know what it is that men really want? I am Father Thomas Lawyer with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. In complement to woman's body, the body of a man is designed to act upon the environment, to go up against things greater than he is. Men are designed to defend, protect, tear down, build, resist, invent, in short, to accomplish the task. Their greatest desire, therefore, is to be told that they have what it takes. They measure up and have indeed accomplished the task. Conversely, a man's greatest fear is to be told that he is not adequate, that he is a failure. A man wants to see reflected in the eyes of his woman the essential message of his manhood. Yes, I do believe in you, honey. You are my knight in shining armor. Ladies, when a man hears that message, he will do anything for you. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Daughters of St. Paul sponsor a monthly study group on the theology of the body. The discussions are led by Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. Every second Saturday during the month at Pauline Books and Media, 172 North Michigan Avenue in Chicago, from 1030 until 12 noon Central Time. Simultaneously and interactively video streamed live online. As you know, we are concerned about the sacramental liturgical worldview as delivered by John Paul II's Theology of the Body. For more information, go to daughtersofstpaul.com or call 312-346-4228. Say Christ is risen indeed, he is risen. Christos vos cres, voice in vos cres. Christos anesti, alethos anesti. Hamasicham, hakam kam. I said that in English, Slavonic, Greek, and Arabic. Hopefully, I did the Arabic justice. For those of you of the Eastern churches that do speak and know Arabic, Hamasicham, hakam kam, meaning Christ is risen indeed, he is risen. We're talking about the great gift of receptivity that womanhood has been created with and for and by through Jesus Christ, 
and is to them that the human race was entrusted, as John, blessed John Paul II says, and also it is to them that the first message, the seed of the resurrection was given, the seed of life, to bring back to the community. And we mentioned that we see this in the story of the myrrh-bearing women. Well, today, this Sunday in the Byzantine church is the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, and something also very similar happens. Jesus Christ comes upon this woman at the well. And the liturgical texts say this. This is our prayers. This is from the Vesper service of the Byzantine Church for the Sunday of the Samaritan Woman. At the sixth hour, you came to the well, O fountain of wonders, to ensnare the fruit of Eve. For at that very hour, she had been driven from paradise by the guile of the serpent. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, you said to her, O Savior, give me water to drink, and I will give you waters of eternal life. And the woman hastened to the city and proclaimed to the people, Come and seek Christ the Lord, the Savior of our souls. Now that liturgical text just says so much, as most of the time that they do. At the sixth hour, it says, now that would be noon. See, the liturgical day is divided up into the what's called the first hour, which is 6 a.m., third hour, 9 a.m., sixth hour, which is noon, and ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock. Now at the sixth hour, that's significant. Because it's referring to the time when the devil came to, in the form of the serpent, to Eve in the Garden of Paradise. So you see what's happening here? Christ is taking very purposely. He's in total control. This shows you how God triumphs in so many ways. Many, many ways that we can see how God triumphs. And it's all in the details, especially when it comes to John's gospel. He was an evangelist, a writer of detail, actually. Very significant. Christ sets up all the details. He goes and sets up a scenario very similar to what happened in paradise, even the same time of day. Only now, instead of a serpent coming to give again the bad message, it's a woman like Eve who now thirsts because of sin. You know, she has her own yearning, and Christ knows what that yearning was. Her yearning was for love, for intimacy, for him. So she comes to the well thirsty looking for water at an unusual time, the hottest part of the day, a time when most people would not be around. And why did she have to go at that time? Because she was, of course, probably known as a public sinner. Because we find out in the conversation between Jesus and her that she had several husbands. And the man she was living with, and Jesus told her, was not her husband. So she comes there probably in a bit of shame at the hottest part of the day when most people would not be there. And she comes doing the very difficult job of carrying these big, heavy water jars to be filled and taken back even heavier. And Jesus comes to her at that time, now with the word, the seed of life, and changes her and transforms her life. How? By this beautiful, loving, progressive kind of penetration into her soul. Little by little, he unravels herself before herself. He unravels what her true self is. He pinpoints, he identifies, he names the demons in her in a sense, but he goes further than that. What he does is he reveals herself to herself. Like Blessed John Paul II said, and he said that Jesus Christ reveals man to himself. And this is what Jesus Christ did to this woman. He revealed to her not just what was wrong, her sinfulness, but he revealed to her her real self, her real deep yearning. And he filled that yearning with himself by entering into her, into her heart. Again, seeing that gift, the receptivity he himself created in her and entering into that. And what did he tell her to do? He told her to go to the village. She goes back to the village. She doesn't go beyond the village. She goes back to her friends, her family and says, come and see this person, 
that told me everything about myself. In other words, he revealed myself to me. It was my best self, my true self, the self that is yearning and why and for what I am yearning for. And all of this is example for you and I. We are, and this is why we put these women in front of us liturgically in the Byzantine church, we do become them. It's okay, man. you got to imagine that. We do become metaphorically or mystically as an analogy. We do take the place of these women that we're looking at during this month of May, but more so during the Paschal season, the myrrh-bearing women and also the woman at the well. And the woman at the well, the myrrh-bearing women, teach us that we are to have that same openness too. Now, it's a little bit harder for us guys because we don't have quite that gift of receptivity. We kind of come at God a little bit differently. But it is womanhood that teaches us, especially us men, for those of you who are men out there listening, that teaches us that we do have to cultivate that openness and that trust in our Lord and take the message into us like the women did, let it bear fruit, and then take it. Now, for us men especially, we take it beyond the world. If you notice, the apostles were sent out. They were commissioned to go out to sort of conquer and baptize all nations for the Lord, as it were, quote-unquote quote, conquer, conquer for God in a way. And it was to the woman that the mandate was given to first bring life in the immediate proximity, you know, to the family. In other words, nurture and enrich the family, enrich the men first, the apostles, so they can then go out. They could be energized and and nurtured into becoming the men they were supposed to become so they could take this message far and wide. This is the value of womanhood to manhood. This is also what is meant in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about women being submissive or subordinate to their husbands, meaning being supportive of their husband's mission to be Christ, to kind of take those hits and to make the sacrifice that is involved in a man being Christ to his bride, and Christ to the world, and all that that might entail for the man. Yes, we all must be Christ, man and woman, but we have specific ways in which we do that. And it's right here, very relevant, very timely in the ancient text of the Byzantine church and also in the scripture. And finally, we mentioned there is the mother of God, of course. And she is seen in so many ways as the, the archetype of the many types that are in the Bible. There was Jacob's ladder, the burning bush, the manna from heaven, the unhewn mountain. We can go on and on and on. In fact, there's an entire service dedicated to these metaphors and analogies and types from the Bible that all refer to the mother of God. And that, that service is called the Akathis service to the mother of God, a very beautiful service that goes through all of Scripture and brings out all the different metaphors, as it were, that point to ultimately who would become the Virgin Mary, the mother of God. So we see the mother of God throughout all the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. She is the archetype of the many types that are in the Old Testament and Old Testament figures. And speaking of the mother of God, I had the privilege of celebrating, as I mentioned, attending the liturgy that was celebrated in the great Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore in Rome, in the chapel dedicated to the mother of God with a magnificent ancient icon of the Virgin Mary with Christ in that chapel. I want to bring you one of the most special sounds that liturgy. This is the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, sung by the seminary choir from Preshov, Slovakia.
hope that you were moved, as I always am, by that particular version of the Lord's Prayer. It's the very famous choral version by the composer Kendroff. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.